Welcome to the Business Design Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And as usual, we travel far and wide to find guests for this podcast. And today we're going to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, well, it didn't didn't end up on the show itself, but Diane Crampton, who we're talking to, ended up telling us all about the, the clouds of smoke that have been happening in Oregon this summer. Really remarkably strange times out west. There is. Now, when we when we talked with Diane, we had a wide-ranging conversation about boomers, tigers. <laughs> what else did we talk about? We talked about millennials and Gen Xs. The future of work. Now, but I have to say, I mean, the best thing about the whole interview is that Randy has a different definition of boomer. And I actually said, okay, boomer, and meant it in context. So it was kind of fun. A fun interview. So here you go. Here's our interview with Diane Crampton. Nice to see you, Diane. I, I have to say you're coming to us from the, the most aptly named city for an entrepreneur that there is because you kind of have to sort of bend and, and uh, you know, like a, a twig or a, a branch uh, when the wind is blowing, right? Like a willow tree, absolutely. But we do have a very strong entrepreneurial community here in Bend. A lot of people moving up from San Francisco who can work out of their offices here and fly down easily enough back to California. And it's a very strong entrepreneurial community. So do they call you a bender? A <laughs> bendite. <laughs> a bendite. Nice. So you, you've worked for many years with corporates, with business, with at all levels. What, what are you seeing today? And I guess in the near future, what, what are you feeling on the ground? I think that there's going, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of disruption we have, you know, talking about the entrepreneurial community, I was just reading the other day about how many people are actually quitting now to start their own businesses that were working virtually, but maybe we're dissatisfied with the, uh, the type of different type of leadership required to really empower people who are working from their offices. So they're opening up their own. And uh, I, I think... I was reading uh, from the World Economic Forum about how Microsoft, in their report, anticipated 42% employment shift, people quitting and working somewhere else or starting their own businesses. The UK came up with a slightly different report between the UK and Ireland, and that was 38%. And so their general number that they've put out there is 41% employment shift. So that's a huge amount of disruption and change that's coming down the pike that I see. And then we also have a new look at the Chicago School of Business's Milton Friedman's theories about organizations and corporations existing for the stockholder. And the new shift in thinking is that employees are stakeholders. And so they're, they're shifting that concept from stockholder to stakeholder, embracing also the wider community, the families of employees, and the employee themselves. So it's that in itself is a huge disruption because it's a different leadership mindset 
and uh, from sort of, I'm going to call it a top-down, directed, sort of hierarchical military model that we have operated on for years, shifting to more of a collaborative mindset. And I, th I think we're going to see a lot more of that as, uh, as leaders look at how do we attract and then keep people that are really good. So is collaborative more like chaotic, some kind of two C words? Uh, it's, I mean, in a good way. I mean, you have to find the goodness in the chaos, but there's like a completely different, because if everyone's kind of at that same level mingling in a, in a, in a you know, the floor of a convention center, it's a different kind of organization than if you have the levels of a 10-story building. Well, that uh, I can see your analogy there. I would say that being on the floor of a huge conference would be more cacophony, <laughs> along with that, like that. that that chaos. But both the top-down directed workforce and the collaborative workforce have systems in place that reduce that chaos and elevate human strengths. I think for years we have seen, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how leaders work through the conundrum of employee empowerment. Because the empowered employee also needs to be committed and accountable. And so the structures and systems that you put in place for that accountability and commitment is what minimizes chaos or the cacophony of everybody speaking at once. So, Diane, I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, my experience has been that collaborative environments only work when everybody has access to, to the same information and has the same knowledge background, so can come with different ideas about the best path forward, but with full understanding of both the problem and uh, with full information. And that doesn't exist in the workforce. Not everybody is privy to all the information, and yet they try to have a collaborative, collaborative meeting and wonder why they don't get anywhere. Uh, it does become a cacophony of sound and no decisions get made. How do we overcome this problem? Well, Randy, I think a leadership skill that has not been all that well developed, and I'm talking not so much mindset, as I'm t talking about actual skill that can be taught, is that understanding how to facilitate people with different strengths and different backgrounds and different knowledge experience, being able to facilitate that in a way that benefits how employees and people think how they process information is critical. And we spent, oh gosh, I spent 20 years actually designing a methodology for facilitating that type of decision and discussion. Because, you know, if you look at the, the wonderful talents, and to your point, everybody has to have the same level of knowledge, well, that will depend on the problem or the decision that needs to be made. The withholding of information, let's say, at the executive suite is exactly how silos are started, where department heads work for the benefit of themselves and their department rather than the good of the company. 
or the organization or the nonprofit. And so really understanding how to harness the collective intelligence is something that I, I don't think leaders have a really good grasp on right now. And I think that this is going to be a huge shift because it comes in alignment with the, the mindset that people have unique skills and talents that are virtually untapped in the workplace right now. It's really interesting you talk about tapping and harnessing two very, very low violence ways, I mean, somewhat, a little bit, a little bit violent, but they don't kill the organism, right? The tapping a tree, you know, it, it'll be okay. It, it, it's, it's not fun to get tapped, you know, with a little spigot, mm -hmm. but you can stay there forever and, um, and create something great. Uh, a harness, very similar. Like mm -hmm. you, if you harness the talents, you're not damaging the, the animal or the person, whatever. There's, you're harnessing the talents. Mm -hmm. That's as opposed to a lot of the language around headhunting and, 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 and extracting the value from your employees and so on. It's kind of a, a slightly different approach and it's more of a churn and burn kind of, of thing. So are you, are you saying that kind of moving forward into the next generation, you have to give people that, that level of, of uh, you, you can harness them, but you can't sort of take their materials? Or how do, you, how do you see that? I see it as guiding them on the path. And like the tapping, being able to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking. How could this fail? Where am I thinking off track here? What insight do you have uh, to share from your world of experience that uh, could show me some error in my thinking here? Simply being able to state, <laughs> I want to check the error in my thinking is a huge That's a little different. shift. Yes, isn't it? It's also it? a little different than the, than the coaching. So it was, it was kind of a cutting edge thing to say, oh, you have to coach your employees. That, that maybe the last 20 years has been an adoption of, oh, I've got to coach my employees. But this is almost a level further in sort of, you know, senior executive thinking, right? Can right. you not just coach them? You're not mansplaining or woman-splaining something to right. them. It's different. This is not coaching. Well, exactly. And then, you know, the, the, to your point, which is a really good point, to your point is that when a leader truly shows an interest in how an employee thinks, what their world experience is, it takes them out of this very tiny little box that the top-down organization thrives with. Because if people aren't in that little tiny box and they're exhibiting their, their talents, you might have to pay them more, <laughs> right? I deserve a higher salary because now I'm expanding out beyond this tiny little box you have put me in. And to that point, I'll give you an example of this. A woman, an executive I know, who is working for a major internet security company, was hired in a, an HR-type capacity after close to 30 years of experience in the variety of different HR capacities, who, had, who basically said, do you, have, do you realize in asking me to do just this, how much of my knowledge and experience you are untapping? But that was irrelevant because it was that tiny little box that she was to fit in for that employment role. Whereas in a more collaborative organization, you will have people say, 
you know, I'm not really interested in leadership. I don't have to climb this ladder of success in order to have some autonomy. And that's autonomy of thought, autonomy of time, and the autonomy to be on project and to get it done. And if you get it done sooner, (laughs) then either you're available to be of assistance to others or you've got some free time. And that will depend on how the organization measures your time involvement. And I think the measuring of that time involvement is going to be more project-oriented in the future and outcome-oriented than it's going to be directing individuals to punch in at a certain time and punch out at a certain time, especially if the workforce is hybrid, with some people working out of the office and other people working in brick and mortar. I want to go back to something you talked about right at the start, Diane. Roughly 40% of the workforce is moving out of corporate, starting their own business. Or changing jobs. Or changing jobs. Right. Okay. Because I was concerned about the starting their own business because we know that 70% of businesses never survive past five years. So what's going to happen five years from now? Are we going to be faced with a whole lot of people that are unemployable because they've left their, their career to start a business and that business hasn't worked out? So I'm, I'm trying to look five or ten years down the path as to what the next transition is going to be. Well, and that's a good question, Randy. I mean, if we look at some of the political conversations that were in this last election cycle about what to do in a, uh, an economy that has gone basically robotic with less need for people, you know, what, what those solutions are. And there's many different ideas, some of which are, you know, government-supported ideas and others that are not. And I don't have the answer to that other than the fact that if people enjoy the task that they're doing and they're in a support-type role, I'm thinking of the virtual uh, assistant type of businesses that are out there. That's what I'm seeing now, a real growth in that, a real growth in tech support. We know that technology is part of that entrepreneurial tapping of people's interests and talents in the workplace, but it's also involved in more of a a gig skill set. So when you have, you know, a high level of millennials and Gen Xers who have a different view of work and work-life balance, they're already over 50% of the workforce. So it'll be interesting to see how they tackle, how they grow their own businesses and what type of Fortune 100s and blue stock companies will survive after this in the next five, 10 years. We don't have the stats, but we've heard, uh, I don't remember, Randy, who exactly it was, but the stats on... Gen X run and millennial run businesses is not it's good. not good. Yeah. They're they're failing. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do what, is it they didn't have uh, some entrepreneurial type of support and interest in their college? 
I feel like I should step up for Gen X and <laughs> Gen Y. I'm right. I'm in between the two, so I'll say okay, Boomer, and <laughs> tell Randy to answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> so, so there's lots of lots of possible theories. Over the last twenty years, I think education and society in the workforce has moved away from generalization and into uh, very specific roles. So people come out of college and they're trained to do one thing and they do it very, very, very well. Mm-hmm. So they're extraordinary. So millennials, Gen X is extraordinarily good at what they do, mm-hmm. but it's a very narrow knowledge. Yes. They just think they know broad knowledge. So when they go to start their business, they don't they have, have Google. They have, they have Google. They have Facebook, they have LinkedIn, they have all of these places with people who know absolutely what to do, but we don't know these people from Adam and we don't know whether they actually do know what to do or not. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is is a narrow specialisation, whereas success in business requires much broader knowledge. The second problem is that is okay boomer. The second problem is that they want to learn from people their own age. They don't want to learn from people like me. So combine those two together. I think it's a matter of ego in that same vein. So it's saying, I know, I know best. I mean, mom and dad have always told me that. (laughs) Uh, So, but it's, it's interesting because we we are probably at a pivot point where this has to change. So I, I, I'd like to think it's going to be the rise of the generalists. I'd like that because I'm a generalist, (laughs) uh, but that would be lovely to see. You know, I think kids growing up in this era, you know, having to live through COVID, some of those kids are going to be generalists because they've, they've maybe started to think a little bit broader, but who knows? Well, and there's, there's a lot of, writing around the idea of the renaissance person <laughs> with a broad general knowledge yeah, and that, also, that technology skill set that is so needed. And that there are two other problems that I see when I, when I look at the business world today. Um, one is that people are no longer building companies to build companies. They're actually building companies to flip them and make make their exit. And the second problem is millennials and Gen Xs have this belief that you must fail multiple times before you can succeed and that it's okay to fail. And I think all of that just permeates into this culture of failure. So they start businesses and it's okay if it doesn't work out. They can just start another one. Whereas my thinking is... Business failure affects a lot of people, not just the not just the entrepreneur. And and as part of that, the, the feeling that the value of what I'm building is great. So what I would put into uh, this for the conversation, putting on a devil's advocate hat, is something that people will miss, <laughs> and that is whether or not they have to reinvent a wheel. To your point, Randy, that uh, millennials and Gen Xers want to learn from their own age group, there are accomplished boomers who are now looking at selling their businesses. 
And uh, this is a huge untapped market for the accomplished Gen Xer and older millennial in terms of opportunity and going forward. And that combination of, of those, I think those millennials and Gen Xers who really are interested in being mentored by a, uh, by a boomer, it's huge. I had a, a, a to, to your point, there was a small business in uh, Connecticut that the owner had made a good lifestyle with. And he had a number of employees, but he wasn't a $10 million business. He was, you know, around that $5 million area. And he had brought in a young kid at 18 with a horrible family background who he mentored and who now is healed enough to be able to buy his business. So when he came to us, he said, you know, I'm, you know, going to be 70 years old. And I, I want to go to the islands <laughs> and uh, drink Mai Tais. <laughs> I don't want to be worrying about taking a business back when I'm 80. So I want to make sure I, I have a concern about this, this one leader. He's very directive. He can be very insulting. He can be very in your face. And we have to build finesse so that his turnover doesn't sink any contract I carry uh, on the sale of my business. And so I think that those boomers that are looking at uh, uh, building relationships and in a mentoring way with Gen X and millennials, especially right now, it's really wise. And I'm fortunate. I don't know if it's because I'm goofy or what, but <laughs> I tend to resonate really well with that group of folks. If they don't know me, they're going to consider me, quote, a boomer. But if when they do get to know me and they know the type of mentoring and the type of problems and the type of things that we, that we can talk about, and there's an the element of humility in me and an element of humility in them, this is a tremendous opportunity for people actually acquiring existing businesses what a, to reinvent that wheel. What a cool idea. Um, and I, I have to say now, now I feel like I should say, okay, boomer. You know, it's like <laughs> a different, just a different tone. So this has been really fun chatting with you. We like to keep these interviews pretty short. Um, you've given us so much insight. Where can folks find you and uh, who are you looking for? What, what are you um, providing to them? Well, uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs right now buying our book, Tigers Among Us, Winning Business Team Cultures and Why They Thrive. And they're doing this because they're going either third level of funding as an entrepreneur business, and they're going to start hiring employees. The best time to make a decision about your work culture, is it going to be collaborative, top-down, uh, hybrid of sorts, is when you're starting it and before you hire your very first person. Whether you are building the company to flip it or building to keep it. You can find that book at tigersamongus.com and you can always send me a note at corevalues.com, which is our, our company website.
Well, thank you for that, Diane. Um, I think it's time for me to find my island and my tie and uh, <laughs> sit back and relax. <laughs> Great talking with you today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your wisdom and, um, you know, never be embarrassed by being called a boomer because a boomer in Australia is a, a big male kangaroo, big old wise guy. So <laughs> boomers <laughs> are a good thing. But I think when we look at, at at the wisdom piece of it, you're exactly right. Really fun to talk with you, Diane. It feels like we've caught a tiger by the toe. Is that fair to say? <laughs> you could, Kent. Yes, indeed. Tigers is a great business model uh, when it comes to the type of principles that do build a very high-functioning team-based organization. And those six principles are trust, interdependence, genuineness, empathy, risk resolution, and success. I love that. I was just thinking about the kid down the street who had the tiger face paint, but I like your version. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for talking with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you, Diane. What a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I mean, we lost track of time. I, I started drooling. Uh, we were so into that conversation, thinking about, you know, boomers and millennials and all of that. I also, you know, I, I got to say, Randy and I are often sort of thinking that we're just a couple of crotchety old dudes talking about the state of the world. So it was fun to go there, but then also kind of come back from the brink with you. I really love, Diane, the way you talk to about the opportunity for millennials and Gen Xers to take advantage of the opportunities coming from boomers in being in the place where they're trying to sell their businesses and that where the, how they can mentor the youngsters and the youngsters, I call you all, all the millennials and Gen Xers youngsters, you can learn and, and, and buy those businesses and keep them going and create legacy. It's a real opportunity. Okay, Boomer, uh, I don't have that kind of money. Like, dude, what can I do? Well, there's all sorts of things you can do, but you could start by going to thoughtpartnergroup.com and let's find out how we can help you. No, man, I, I, I don't have that kind of attention span. I, I, I you know, listen, I'm sitting here standing on my head. I, I, I don't have patience for that website. So it's all about education. So if you want to get a crazy fast education, get crazy smart, crazy quick, go to crazymba.com. And for just a dollar, you can get started. Okay, boomer. Boomer.